All right, why don't we go ahead and get started. I know, um, hey, Barb's not feeling the best there either, so we'll, uh, we'll, get, uh, we'll get through this uh, last part of Thessalonians. Uh, we're versed at verse 23 through 28. And uh, thank you guys for coming out. We've been in a study of Thessalonians for several months. And we have seen uh, the grace of God that worked in that church. And uh, one of the verses that starts with tonight is verse 23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. Or make you completely holy. And in a world that is so totally contrary and uh, alienated to the holiness of God, the thing of sanctification or holiness is, I think it's a critical concern for Christians. And uh, we're left to represent the Lord here. We are it. We are the ones who are, are holy. And of course, Paul has mentioned this sanctification all throughout chapter 3 and chapter 4, and here it is in chapter 5. And you look at the preceding verses from where we have been, where he had one um, kind of like a command after another command after another command, and their admonitions to walk spiritually. And of course, some of them were staccato rejoice always, pray without ceasing, everything give thanks, uh, do not quench the spirit, right on down the line. Uh, all of those right there. So. Their commands, and it's for our sanctification. Um, but how is it possible? You know, we can't accomplish those things. Those are incredibly steep. They're way over our heads. There's no way we can do all those things. And uh, yet we see that it is the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us. In chapter four, those eight verses there, um, it talks about being in the will of God, and uh, it is our sanctification in that section. And in verse 8 he says, So he rejects us is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. And there's our power. And that's the way we can we work that out. Anyway, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. Thank You for this Thessalonian church, which is a great example of what uh, the church is about. Uh, a model. And uh, Lord, may we uh, take this and... See how it, sanctification is so important in our own lives and that You are sanctifying us all the way to the point of Christ coming back. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. So the first one is a basic petition. He's just praying here. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body, there's your trichotomy, or is it dichotomy? <laughs> Be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He who calls you. He'll also bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Pretty power-packed, actually, even though there are little short statements there. But uh, the first thing that he talks about here, the God of peace sanctify you. And that's hagiadzo. means to set apart, means to be made holy. Um, he's already spoke about that in, in uh, other places in this, uh, not only this whole Bible, but in Thessalonians. Um, there, are th- there are three aspects to sanctification. One of them is positional. Uh, you're called a saint, right? What's a saint? It's a holy one. It's hagias. We are saints. That means we have been made. We are saints you know, by our position. There's the practical, which is, you know, 
the saints are set apart, but then the saints focus on what is here, what we're talking about tonight, and it's a process. It's a present process of spiritual growth. And then it culminates with the ultimate sanctification, which is to come. Um, and, and that's what we look for. And that's what positional is again. Positional is look in Romans chapter one verse seven. This is what we are. This is what has happened to us. Of course, we've been saved. When we were saved, we were sanctified, right? Uh, like in Romans one, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. We were called as saints. The the people in Rome were. Uh, all Christians are. Paul used that word saints a lot. That's the holy ones. That's the ones set apart for God. That's uh, that's Christians. So that's what happens when you be, you know you're a, you're a believer once for all being sanctified. Hebrews chapter ten. We were we've we there's a one time sanctification, but it's ongoing too. And so the ongoing is your practical. That's what's happening now. And then all the way to the point of ultimate sanctification, where what he's talking about in our text tonight really is what is happening now in our lives. So what does he start off with? Now may the God of peace. What's the source of our sanctification? Who is it? What is it? That's right. And he is. And I I like this. May the God of peace Himself. Uh, He is our sanctification, isn't he? He is our source. Real familiar expression, the God of peace, and I have a bunch of scriptures there, probably in your on your outline, Romans and Philippians and Hebrews and Corinthians, and what they do, they're they're pointing to how God is called uh, the the God of peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the peacemaker. He's the source of peace. He is real peace. It's Jesus Christ who is our peace, right? Christ is our peace. So when God does that, how does He do it? Remember in John seventeen seventeen, Jesus prays that great prayer, the whole chapter, one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. And He prays that they be unified, that they all are unified, but they keep that unity and maintain it. But He also says, sanctify them in Thy truth. Thy Word is truth, right? So we're sanctified by the Word of God. And He's the source. So, And through the Word of God, that's how we know who God is. That's how we know who He is. That's how we know Christ when we look at that. So we to know, to know real peace is to know Christ. And then we have the Word of God, and then we have, we have prayer and depending on Him, giving thanksgiving, having an attitude of faith. But it's always in the Lord. So that's that's Him... But we have a part also, and I think of Romans 6.19, this is what we do. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, that's before you became a believer, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So we play the part too. And and it is. It's a, it's a two-way thing. Salvation is all by the grace of God. 
But sanctification is where we work with Him. He gives us the power. He works in us. And of course, we work it out. And that's that famous Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He works in us and we work it out. Work out our salvation. Not for it, but out. So there is the nature of, of uh, sanctification. The three, you know, the positional, practical, the ultimate. We have the source of sanctification. It's the God of peace. What's the extent of, of uh, sanctification? Well, now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you. What's the next word? You say entirely. I say holy. Entirely. Holy. Perfect word. Works great. Completely. We, we got the extent of this, don't we? Entirely. Completely. Holy. Total. Quite complete. Through and through. Might even have that. Um, and there are two words there related to it. Um, now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. And the word... You ever heard of holocaust? Do you know what hollow means? Holy. And cost is fire. A, a complete, holy, total fire, right? Is, is the destruction or whatever. So, holo here means then, that, holy. Now, would that also represent that, like the Holy Spirit? No, okay, on this, and yeah, that, that fits with that. The word for this holy is W-H-O-L-L-Y. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the Greek, hala, uh, oh, okay, I see what you mean. There, not, the, no, it's not. Okay. But, but in another sense, that's how we're holy. Down, like a fire right, right. But this, this is the W-H-O-L-L-Y which is what you would have there in your translation. Okay. So, yeah, a good question there. I'm glad I, if I'd had a board there, I'd just spelled it. But this is completeness. And it, from the very aim, from the de very design of God, it's halotelis, or teleo. You ever heard of, um, Jesus says on the cross, last it is finished. Teleos. So halotelios. Holy... Teleos means to bring to completeness, perfection, finished, complete. Holy, complete. And then he uses another word, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved, complete. Word there is um, related to it, it's, and it starts with hala, kleros. And that means to be intact, uh, undamaged, total, Absolutely complete. It's very related to the other word, and they both start with that uh, prefix there. Hollow kleros here would be holy portion or lot, the lot of it. Uh, so what we have here is man's entire makeup is focused on the spirit, the soul, the body, is very completion, and the goal is perfection. So when Paul prays this. He says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely, completely, holy, right? And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved, complete, um, absolutely complete, undamaged, total. Very, very related. And so that's a great prayer, isn't it? And that's what we would pray for ourselves and each other, that we'd be sanctified in, in completely. The goal is absolute perfection. That's where it's heading. We don't have that now, but it's that's where it's it's heading. Now there are components of sanctification, and 
What we're going to do right now is just take it in two parts, material and immaterial. Because what you have here, may your spirit and soul, okay, that would be the inner being. And what's the next part? Body. That's the outer being, right? So he wants our outer being, our inner being, to be preserved, to be set apart entirely, completely. So we take the material and the immaterial. Let's go into the word body first. The word is soma. Soma, right? This is the physical. Now, in the Greek culture, the body is held in really low esteem. Uh, Man inwardly has good elements, they say. But the body, it's bad anyway. The flesh is bad. really means nothing. Don't worry about it. Whatever the flesh wants to do, do it. It's all right. Because it's going to do that anyway. Uh, They believed in having lofty thoughts, lofty ideals, but they could let their body do whatever they wanted because that to them was their... um, That's their whole philosophy. It's all in... um, the inner man is where everything is at. Only thing is, that kind of worked into the Christian realm too, and uh, you have um, uh, kind of a dual philosophy here, but in uh, in the Christian realm, uh, there was a pastor who says this, since the body is the flesh, and the flesh is unredeemed until glorification, don't, don't worry about what your flesh does. Therefore, um, you eliminate all the guilt of sin, there's no church discipline. There's nothing like that. It's because you can do whatever you want because that's the body and it's going to do that. But Paul protects against that. By the way, you guys have heard of Gnosticism, right? Later on, pretty shortly after this, this is when this was going to develop. It's already in Greek culture and Greek uh, philosophy, but eventually it's going to develop fully and come into the church. And Gnosticism was you know, it's very cultish. That's that's what happened. What does Romans twelve one and two, you know, uh, it deals with a sacrifice, right? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to what? To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service worship. So there he, he says your body. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, we know that uh, we do not go along with the Greek thought there about their uh, philosophical dualism. So, we've seen the word body, soma. Now he uses two words, spirit and soul. And here is where we will get into what has been an ongoing debate ever since the church has been around, ever since Paul wrote this, I guess. Um, The word for soul is suke. The word for pneuma, spirit. And I want to tell you, it's it's tough to really deal with this issue, but I'll I'll get into it a little bit. One is dichotomy. Di means what? Two. Trichotomy means three. If you look at this, and I'm not going to shove either of these at you, but I'll tell you what each one of them believe. 
And even in Reformed theology, there are differences in it. So that goes to show you that it's not anything to divide over in a church. A church shouldn't. It's not. You know, it's it's a secondary or, or an, another issue. You know, it's it's back there. But um, what you do have here is it says spirit and soul and body. That's what's to be preserved complete. Um, the soul and the spirit, we would say, would be not material, but what? Immaterial. Uh, this is the essence of man, of, of what, what is here. So why does Paul refer to spirit and soul if they're the same thing? Well, we'll get into that. Robert L. Thomas did a pretty good summary of this, and I'll keep this, I'll try to get it as simple as I can, uh, because it it gets really, really deep and uh, it, it's interesting to uh, to uh, I think think about I think it's it, it's important you know it's there and people take issues on this most of you reformed theologians will take a dichotomy view but not all I think James Montgomery Boyce and uh, uh, the the pastor that was before him at 10th Street Presbyterian in Philadelphia uh, he wrote uh, Romans commentary. Now I can't even think of his name. Sorry about that. Anyway, and there have been several others. And down through church history, the early church fathers, a lot of them took a view of uh, trichotomy. Um, but here's one view. It's a rhetorical thing. It's just rhetoric. When you say body, soul, and spirit, or soul and spirit, spirit and soul, it's just a rhetoric. Um, although it fails to explain some things, but that would be one one thought. Let's see, you could take Mark 12, verse 30. The reason I'm doing this is that you'll run into uh, people wanting to talk about dichotomy, trichotomy, somewhere along the lines. And you can say, alright, yeah, I had that. Uh, we, we were doing a Bible study on that one time. Now what, Dennis, what did he believe in? <laughs> and after we're done, I'm not so sure you will really, really know. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I will put some interesting points on, on, on both views. Uh, here's the, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So there's four right there. So it goes past the trichotomy. Yeah. Um, at any rate, um, that would be why they would say that. And they would say this is what, what Paul's really getting at is the totality of personality. This is your personality. Your, your spirit and your soul. That's what's there. So they wouldn't say it's trichotomy. Um, another one is the spirit and soul are interchangeable. Whenever God uses the word spirit, it can also mean soul. When He puts soul there, it can mean spirit. Here we see them two together. Um, Don't the Greek words mean two different things? They are. Uh, and matter of fact, suke is soul. And we get our word psychology from that, which um, the mind or the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? The heart is talking about the inward man. Psychology is a study of the inward man. Suke means the inner man. Suke, psychology. Ology is a study. Study of the soul. 
man tries to answer the questions that only God can and only God knows from what's on the inner man. Psychology tries to solve all those things. And that's been going on for a little over a hundred years. Actually, psychology has been around for a long time, hasn't it? When we talked talk about faint hearted last week. Exactly. That same one was in there, wasn't it? So Exactly. Are the words we use here Greek? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Would the Hebrew words have a different, much clearer... Well, in, in Genesis where it uh, talks about spirit, mm -hmm. you know, he, he, he breathed the spirit into Adam, you know, or spirit and breath. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that would be uh, close to what pneuma is. That would be how you would relate the Greek word pneuma to the Hebrew. And, of course, they're still dealing with the spirit. So, soul or suke versus pneuma. And, of course, what they're saying, they say you can't find another text of Scripture that separates them. There's no way that you can separate the spirit and the soul, is what they would say. Um, whatever the spirit is, whatever the spirit does, whatever you know is and does, there's, there's, you can't have any separation, is what the view of dichotomy is. Because they're saying it's, it's the same. Uh, you can't find anything in Scripture, they will say, that, that dissects it. And I know Hebrews is a passage that you think of. Um, and, and, and we can go there. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> Avell, I think I breathed some of that stuff in from the ceiling. <laughs> Did you get any of that stuff? I was flying that stuff around. Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> going to see how it affected you. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from that. <laughs> right. <lesson> for, <laughs> for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What they will be saying there in a dichotomy view they know full well about this, but what they're saying here is that you cannot go in, even if you could, with a, you know the not because it's inner, it's it's beyond physical, right? But the word of God is so effective, it can go down and divide what we cannot divide. We can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> that that proves a trichotomous point. Just because we can't divide it does not mean there are not two things there that are divisible. Right, because when Luke was here, when Luke does his Sunday studies, he was talking about when God created man, there was already, there was already that, uh, what word did he do? The damning, condemning nature of him? The man's damning nature was already in him. Not that he was it yet, but it was already there. And it's like the Spirit, the Spirit that we receive, the Holy Spirit when we accept Christ, is that what that is? So that the two work together, that the Spirit makes our soul new? Well, they would say, now I'm just looking at the, uh, the dichotomist, and then we'll look at the trichotomist, but dichotomist then, in answer to that, would say, okay, yeah, we were all um, depraved. Mm -hmm. And we are wicked, we're evil, we're corrupt, we're dead. Mm. Um, so therefore, you have this part here that's dead, 
and that would either be the soul or the spirit. And this is the question that I always ask, though, then, is what died? The spirit. The spirit died. Everybody's got a soul. The right. atheist on the planet's right. got a soul. So you ask that yeah, question, too, right? And I think that's a good, fair question, because we know when Christ comes into our life, we now become a new man. Uh, matter of fact, we have the Spirit of God in us. The Spirit, if it, if the Spirit died with Adam and all mankind unless they be born again, then what is there? What, what is it that keeps us alive? Well, we have a soul that is our person, our being. It's like our breath. Right. Uh, if, you, if you take a, the soul, you can think of mind, emotions, and will. That makes up the, the soul. But there's the something else with the spirit. There's something else there. What goes to hell? When, when an unbeliever dies, what goes to hell? The body? Nope. They get oh. a new body so they can live forever being damned the you know, with, uh, with their, their... And they don't have the spirit because the spirit is not there. The spirit doesn't die because they, never, they haven't been born again. Right. And that's the way that a, a trichotomist is going to look at it. Okay, you can probably tell where I stand on this. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the verse that God says... Um, or Christ says, or is it Paul, says, do not fear man who can destroy your body, but fear God who can destroy your, I don't know if it's soul or spirit anymore. <laughs> soul. 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 Yeah. Body and soul, yeah. I think yeah. is what he's saying. Right. right. Fear him who right. can destroy that. He's, and he's talking about the uh, an ultimate judgment. Yeah. Is right. He, is, which word? And that destroy. Well, it says both. It says, "Do not fear man who can destroy the body, but not the soul. Mm-hmm. But fear man or fear God who can destroy both." Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Isn't there somewhere? A dichotomist. Then also, what they do is what they see. They see two functions. You have the soul or the spirit. Remember, they're using them interchangeably to relate to God. And then, the, of course, you have the body, or, or, or no, wait, okay, the spirit relates to God, and the soul uh, relates to, like, our affections, our, our thinking, our desires, that kind of thing, okay? okay. So, on, on the earthly things, a lower realm and then a higher realm, and that's what they would uh, view that in the two parts. Paul parallels Numa and psyche or suke uh, Philippians 1.27 speaks at times of man's uh, makeup as being two parts as in 2 Corinthians 7.1 body and soul or spirit together sometimes describe the whole man and uh, I think body a see um, love your Lord love the Lord your God with all your heart mind soul and strength and those passages what they, they would use and as far as that goes the strength that could apply to to every part, to the body, to the mind, to the soul. It could apply to all of those. It's just a different. And, and it is. It's summing up the, right. an entirety. By the way, when we get back after all this is said and done, we'll see really the reason why Paul put that there because his purpose isn't to show a dichotomy or trichotomy either. Either way, the purpose is is. He's going to sanctify. He wants Paul wants them to be sanctified so entirely, so completely, and he's used those words very related that every part, every ounce, uh, whether it be the outer being or the inner being, 
and that's really what he's getting to. But that's why it's kind of interesting just to peer into this and then see what those arguments are and then kind of make up your, uh, your not make it up, but come to a conclusion of what you think it is. Um, now, the people who say that on this dichotomy, and I think everybody would agree that soul and spirit are going to go to heaven, whether you're a trichotomist or dichotomist. Right. They have to because if you're a Christian, they're intact eternally. And so they would ask, well, can they be two different things then? Well, we still have to ask, and I always come back and still fire that question. So are we... About are we Death. saying that it's a trichotomy or a dichotomy? Are we not saying it's either one? You're being very cagey about I, I'm, I, I'm going to. I, I give you the different views, and normally I don't do this. I don't like to do that because I like to give you exactly what I have. But I am saying that there are very good, solid theologians that every one of us would like, and they can debate it out too. And usually, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the one that is weighted the most today in our time amongst the theologians um, that would be some of our favorite writers or who we listen on the radio. Almost all of them are dichotomist. So, now we got problems, and that's what I, that very good because see this this is on this is not even second place it's it's further back but it, you know if you take something different from what the mode is it's like it's almost like they would they would might think that you're you're cultish and that's not the case at all because some of the greatest theologians down through church history have taken different views than what the Probably the the view of the day is, although there are many people that are, are trichotomous. This is something you could sit down and have a fun debate about. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I would hope. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want it to be heated. Was <laughs> 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 There's just one more thing I would like to say on this. Um, even if it's just body and soul, sometimes it seems to me like you can't even person cannot even split the difference between those because people who have had brain damage that is a very physical thing but it's sure their psyche whichever one you want to lay that down with your soul your spirit their psyche they can be completely different people yep. mm-hmm. I've, I've seen more than one person like that they've had brain damage either either by disease or by accident and they're just not the same person at all yeah. Somewhere in there, maybe. I mean, there have to be. Their soul is somewhere in there, the same. Right. But as far as their thinking, as far as and that happens. They present themselves, their personality. It's just not them. It's not them. Yeah. Or not what they used to be. But that soul, that real person, is there is and there. is separate from whatever that happened there. But the body yeah. played a part in that as well. So anyway. Um, and I'll and I'll get to the the, the three components here real quickly. Uh, the 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 dichotomist will say this. It says we don't have any evidence that um, we have a three part human nature. In fact, we have evidence that Paul believed in only two. And then they take you to Romans eight verse ten. I'm quoting here, but Paul says, "If Christ is in you, though a body is dead because of sin." Yet the spirit is alive. 
So there he defines one as body and spirit. You don't see the soul. So they would be saying, see the spirit is would be the same as soul. He didn't mention it there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Who among men know the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? So you have the spirit in the man, right? Okay. Uh, I'm just... Once again, when, trying to think. when it's talking about the Spirit, it's almost like it's relating directly to God. Like, like the Spirit is God's and the soul is man's. That's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Right. So does that mean like the old Spirit dies? <laughs> the, it's already dead. When we're born, uh, it's dead. If it's mm-hmm. Um. Let's see. Oh, um... Corinthians 5 3. On my part, though absent in body, present in spirit. I know you guys can see arguments for that, or you can see arguments against that, actually. But in, in chapter 7 34, holy both in body and spirit. I'm just giving these verses that they would be using. 2 Corinthians 7 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Apart from this text, then they go on and say, Paul never speaks of three. But. Just what that's probably not a good argument though, because it, it is in this text. What they're saying, there's more verses that show this. Anyway, that's that's the dichotomy. We'll go to the trichotomy. Um, they can argue starting with the early church fathers. They many of them were trichotomists. And the symmetrical arrangement here in our Thessalonians. It, I think this is is a pretty good point here. Um, what you have is okay. Sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body. Do you see the two ands? As you see connections, and there are articles with these nouns. We have spirit. We have soul. We have body. And they have definite articles, and then you have the ands that are separating. And so when you have that word and separating spirit and soul, it's like, ooh, those are two different ones, are they not? Distinct enunciation. Um, Anyway, um, Paul pronounced uh, a distinction between sukkakos and pneumaticos in 1 Corinthians 2.14, 15.44, makes a difference between pneuma and ego, that's self, or nous, mind, um, parts of the psyche or the soul, Romans 7.17-23, you know, the body that we have, I mean, the, uh, the, the war that we have, First um, Corinthians fourteen fourteen. Other writers distinguish uh, pneuma and psyche, uh, suke, and James three fifteen, Jude nineteen, and they argue heavily here for I think what would be quite a functional difference between the two immaterial parts. Hebert is a commentary. Lightfoot, another commentary who brought uh, those thoughts. So the spirit pneuma is a part that enables man to perceive the divine. And that's what a dichotomist says. The component 
there would be the one the Spirit knows and communicates with God. If you are dead spiritually, you can't communicate with Him, right? But what does a person have then? They, they can't say spirit and soul, can they? An unbeliever can't have a spirit. He wrote, they really only have a soul. So what happens when we're born again? Uh, you know, the the spirit is revived. Uh, anyway, it's interesting. I think it, I picture it. I picture it kind of like when God breathed first into Adam and made him into a living being. But also, um, in in the end of the Gospels, or at least at least one of the Gospels, where Christ breathed on them. He, he breathed. Which would be the word, uh, I think, pneumatic. Pneuma. Usually when you see that word breathe, you know, it's, it's, it's coming. And of course, the Word of God John is God breathed. The, the same word. Or inspired. So, is um, kind of off the topic apostleship. There were only the twelve apostles. Judas was ever was Judas ever really considered an apostle? Yeah, he was. Well, he was. He was. He was. Well, the of course, he went out, hung himself, <laughs> in an axe right off the bat. And, uh, you know, of course, Peter and the rest of the apostles said we need to replace him. So they had two guys and that they qualified because right. they'd seen the risen Lord, they'd been amongst Him and right. and such. So, And they drew lots and they found out Mattathias was going to be the twelfth apostle. Of course, Paul is one who is untimely born right. and he's considered to be an apostle. Right, because God chose him. So with that, those specific details, it's not possible for us today to be apostles. Right. Okay. We can't. Right. So, right there, right there, right there, it strikes it all out. Right. Okay. Those qualifications that the apostles said, here's what had to happen. They had to walk with Him mm-hmm. to see the risen Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's time, we're on the same page. I'm just... Right. Because a friend of mine... Yeah, I'm sure you run yeah, into these arguments. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, he was listening to a guy who calls himself apostle or something. And I'm like, uh, I don't think he should be doing that. Well, in Ephesians um, chapter 4, you will see that the apostles were the foundation. Right. And it also in Revelation, when it talks about the kingdom, God's kingdom, there's 12 doors, 12 uh, gates, and each one of those gates represents one of the 12 apostles. Those apostles, right. So they've already been set. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I'm just making sure. It's, All right. It was at John twenty twenty one. Yeah, and go this, ahead. This is before Pentecost. And and by the way, it, it was with the, the apostles that Thomas wasn't with them. Mm-hmm. But, but Judas was not in the picture either. This was after Judas was gone. So Jesus had had risen. Um says then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And it's, and that, and of course we know Pentecost is going to be like, what, 40 days later? Something like that. So what, what has to happen here as he's doing that is that 
it's, it's definitely a pledge on Christ's part that the fullness of the Holy Spirit will be upon them. But until that time, He gave them um, a, a power to, to live without Him being there. Even though it was not, it was not permanent, but it was in a situation there. You know, ultimately he comes and then in, in his fullness. So you didn't want them to scatter again, right? Like they did when he was crucified. Right, right, and they do stick together, and then of course they're found together in. Can you picture that? Christ breathing on them. Yeah. yeah. Like, would he be like? <laughs> <laughs> he breathed on them. Is that what it was? That like a physical, like that's what he did. Well, I I think of in the Old Testament where the prophets, there were prophets that were given special understanding, and mm. I would put it in that kind of uh, right. thought is where I would go with it. Mm. Yeah. Um, I just I've always thought that was a, a beautiful picture to me, mm. Christ breathing on those that are His and saying, "Receive ye the Holy Ghost." Oh, is this a special sense there? Even back in Genesis, I mean. He spoke the world into existence, right. but he breathed man into existence. It's right. just so much more personal and hands-on. You know? it's, a, it's a great analogy there from there as the church will be beginning right. with those twelve apostles like man was beginning with life there. Yeah, well, okay, so in, in your trichotomist, you have your body, then you have your suke, the soul, and it's a sphere of man's will, his emotions, right? His mind, uh, his very inner being. It's, the, it's the, the center of his personality. And, of course, the spirit, you know, you, of course, the body is in the physical world, and um, in the spiritual realm, the higher element is through, uh, you know, the spirit of God, having a consciousness of God. Um, so there would be the Christian and his uh, trichotomist uh, view, I guess. So th- there are passages. Your Second Corinthians two, or First Corinthians two fourteen and fifteen, First uh, Corinthians fifteen forty four, and uh, James three fifteen, Jude nineteen, Hebrews four twelve. That would be trichotomist uh, verses. I don't know if I think I got those verses in there on your outline. Yeah. In case you want to look at them, it's worth looking at. I will tell you, yeah, you probably have guessed from me that I I favor a trichotomous view, but I I really here's what it comes down to: the emphasis when we're taking this all in context and you put it back to where you're going at, the emphasis is on the completeness of sanctification, and I can I can see those arguments and I can see why they they have them. Um, it's been clearer for me with with the trichotomous view and the death of man. What died, and if his soul died, then how? That's his mind. And they'll say, well, some of it remained intact. Well, then that's not a death. In Ephesians two, we have a problem where it says that we're dead spiritually, and so that is why I I would uh, why I would argue for that, but uh, I wouldn't argue it to my death. I, Do you think Jesus only had the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Okay, this is what kind of confusing. Alright, because we know the Holy Spirit came and is what it impregnated Mary, right? So does that mean that Jesus is like a piece of the Holy Spirit? Well, we know in, in Romans, flesh? we have, we have we first of all, we know we have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. There are three persons. Right. We also know there's the Spirit of Christ. 
that or the 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 spirit the holy spirit led jesus into the wilderness right. everything that he did was by the spirit of god and at the same time he was doing the father's will right and so you know it's hard for us to maybe split some of those there but the personalities but jesus is not the holy spirit but he definitely had the the power of god's spirit while right. he was a human you know, and, and of course, you get you have to keep thinking that triune God there. While you have the three I, personalities, I get why Jesus, I get why God needed to be on earth in flesh. I understand that. I just don't didn't know if Jesus was like, or is the Holy Spirit in flesh, or if he had his own no. spirit and then he was the yeah. Word. Because he is God in flesh, but only Jesus is the one who came in the body. And of course, right. the Holy Spirit is that. Spirit means something that's not material. Right. And, the, and the Father, he, you know, even though there are related, he, he you know, like the, his eyes, right. uh, his arms, we know that he really doesn't have a body. The Mormons teach that, that God has a body. God the Father has a body. And that's absolutely unbiblical. But he'll use analogies as something we can relate to and, right. and puts in our language. But yeah, you still have to remain distinct, but yet Christ was led by God's Spirit. Right. And the two go hand in hand. You cannot have... Um, and of course, you think of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Those two work right. with each other. The triune God is so intimate and so close and so unified together, they, they're never in disagreement. And and so, the Holy Spirit leads us to Christ. Christ is the one who honors the Father, right. as He does. You know, so many different deals with the the Trinity. Yeah. I don't remember who I was listening to, but I think it was the same thing, and they referred to it as bipartite and tripartite. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's that's a word there. Bipartite would be your dichotomist. So it's the same. So two parts, oh, three parts. Mm -hmm. so right. Okay. Right. And you'll see that. You'll see that in their arguments. They'll use that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, body, soul, spirit, if you may, that's trichotomist. Or the dichotomist is going to say body, soul, or spirit. Basically, I, I'll sum up that way. Here's it, and we're gonna we're gonna blaze now. You ready? Okay. With that set up, that's that's the big key element right there. This prayer is that they be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is saying you could think, okay, we're gonna be ultimately totally sanctified. Yeah, we are. But here he's speaking about that they before even Christ comes back, at His coming, they're already sanctified as fully as they can be. I, I, that's the wrong way of saying it. Sanctified, living a life, even though we're not sinless, but living a life that is is pleasing to God. I mean, we don't want Christ to come back and we're living a very sinful life. And, but he wants it to be blameless, and the word there is a mimptos. It means to be free from blame, um, preserved. Uh, he's going to keep us tereo, preserved, to guard, to watch over, till his parousia. And there, there is the ultimate sanctification. Um, 
Paul wants us to be greater and greater mature-wise. More and more. We don't get up to a perfect point, do we, until Christ comes back, that parousia. Uh, so it's dealing with conduct and also uh, conduct before men and in heart before the Lord Himself. Okay, what's the basis of the petition? It's Christ. It's God. It's His character. Look at this. Faithful is He who calls you, and He also will bring it to pass. The basis of the whole petition at any time or prayer, what's the basis? What's God's faithfulness? His efficacious call. The call there that He says there, the God who calls us, that's efficacious. That means that's that calling will always be perfect. There will not be anybody refusing that on the efficacious call to the ones that He has chosen. And it means whenever He says He'll bring it to pass, I have to think of Philippians 1.6. Many other verses that deal with this, but I think this is, this is great for those who believe in eternal security. For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he, he will perfect it. He will do that. He will save believers all the way. He calls them, justifies them by grace. He sanctifies them by grace. And so here we are. Verse 25, Brethren, pray for us. This is the missionary team. It's Paul, the rest of them. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. We've covered that before. We did that in 2 Corinthians. That's, today it's like a handshake or going up to somebody and patting them on the back, giving them a hug that kind of thing. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. What's that all about? Well, you remember that they didn't have a completed New Testament. And so the early church had to have what? They, If they get letters, they would read that to everybody. And it was not easy to get those duplicated. It didn't go into a copy or anything. And the materials to use to write on uh, was very, very expensive. So when when that letter would be read, you can imagine getting a new letter from Paul. Ooh, we got Second Thessalonians. <laughs> can you imagine how excited they would be? Make sure you read this to them. Well, they'd treasure every word, wouldn't they? You know, here we are, we're spending a little section on here. I imagine they read the whole thing through, you know, read like, like a letter, and then they probably started taking it apart, you know, and... and yeah, taking those Greek words and, and such, maybe. I I don't know, but... Um, well, and they have spe- specific things they could relate it to also because he's writing in response to... Exactly. Boy, could they relate, huh? They could well, really relate yeah, to that. Do you remember the other day when... Exactly. Well, here's the answer. This is it, that. right here. Yeah. Personally, and this yeah. came straight from God. Well, we don't have a personally in the sense that they did, but in another sense we do because this is God's love letter that's given to us. Of course, we weren't there in some of these things that He wrote about, but we can sure identify with them. And God meant for us to have this same kind of promises and all the way through here as He did for them. I mean, I, I see like, it's almost just as personal because like when I come across exclamations and stuff and I really focus on words and putting the commas, it's it really brings things to a much broader, because it's like, oh, they're saying this with excitement. So I imagine how the Apostle Paul must have been when he wrote this, and then it was translated. You know, because it's like he said it with excitement. Then 
you're probably saying it with excitement now. <laughs> you, well, would do, you would do well to it? take a biblical Greek class, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, it I think really so. brings those little nuances. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, talk about, that's what excitement is the kind that you're talking about, where it comes into play there. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, it just starts jumping off the page, and you go, oh, my, look at this, and the depth of this, how far do you want to go with it? You know, right. it just keeps on going further. You're in, a, you're in a cave, and you've found some treasures, and then there's more treasures. You have to dig, but you have to, you know, there's nothing like studying God's Word. And, of course, here he says, pay attention. I adjured you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. And they did that in the synagogues. They would read a public reading of the word. It's so important, public reading, and uh, never take it for granted. And it closes out the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It started with this, it ends with this, and they lived by grace. As a matter of fact, in the first verse, Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. And here we have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He's talked about the God of peace here. And our brothers there in Thessalonica really got encouraged as Paul has them focused upon Christ because that's how we live the life. And it's really the church in action. And they live this... Holy Spirit who's residing in them. And there are all the commands that were given, one verse after another. matter of fact, last couple of chapters we're dealing with that, chapter 4 and 5. And here we are. It's the power of God's Spirit that does it. So, thank you guys. We will um, probably just move on to 2 Thessalonians. We'll get a lot more of the... Thessalonican church and especially eschatology in that section so I will have both Thessalonians done let's uh, close with a word of prayer Father thank you for this evening thank you for who you are and uh, the blessings that you give us as we look at you you are the focus and Lord give us wisdom as we um, get ready to to move to uh, do all the things that, that have to be done and uh, in a short amount of time. So, uh, Lord, we look to You. Trust You. Amen. Amen.